0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. It's great to have you back on board. My name's David Frizzell and in this episode, we're talking about coaching. How do you know when you need a coach? What will you get out of it and what can you expect from the sessions themselves? What are the rules of engagement? Corinne Armour has been on the podcast before. Back in episode 92, we talked about leaders who ask questions, and she returns to tell us all about coaching. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Corinne Armour. Corinne Armour, welcome back to the Team Guru podcast.
1: Thank you. It's delightful to be back again.
0: You know, I've had a little run lately of return guests. For a while, I I only had a few. I remember my first ever return guest was really special, and now they're coming back in droves, which is really lovely. I love talking to people for the second time, and I remember you and I had a conversation. It was only about a year ago, just over a year ago, about leaders who ask questions, and we had a great conversation that time. So it's a real pleasure to have you back, Corinne. As you know, because we've been talking – before we press record and, and in preparation for this, a conversation about coaching is something that I've always wanted to do on the podcast, so I'm really excited to have you here. Hey, Corinne, before we get into who needs a coach and what coaches do and why and this and that and where and what, let's talk about your credentials as a coach so our listeners can sit and listen and take you seriously when we go through all this. Tell us about Corinne Armour, the coach. How did you get started What have you been doing and and what are some of your successes?
1: Oh, that's a broad question. So, how did I get started in coaching? Many years ago, I worked for a a large bank and I was involved in a cultural change program. It's like an internal business champion. And there was an opportunity fairly much last minute, would I come and attend a training program that was all ready to roll out across the organization. This was the final pilot and they wanted a small cohort of people to do the program and to give them some feedback. And I was known for having an opinion. So, I was asked and I really didn't. I was a bit of a learning junkie. I probably still am. And I didn't actually know what it was, but I just said, yes. Turns out it was a leader as coach program. And that really rocked my world because what I discovered on that day, because this was probably 20 years ago. So, coaching wasn't a thing really outside sport. And what I discovered was that my natural leadership style was a coaching style. And I'd, I actually said in the, in the introduction to my latest book, I felt a little bit like I was a bit lazy as a leader because I didn't feel like I needed to have all the answers. I thought my role was to bring other people together and come up with the answers within the team. And I always wondered if that was because I was a bit lazy. But what I realised during that that leaders coach program is that that was actually a valid leadership style. So it gave me a huge yeah, amount of confidence. Ahead of your time, yeah, it gave me a huge amount of confidence, and it was that that really started me on the journey of doing more coaching myself. So I went off and I did much more coaching training. I joined the International Coaching Federation, which is the international peak body for coaches. Got my initial accreditation probably about five years ago, I got the next level of accreditation. There's actually three levels of accreditation for a coach. And I am just in the process of qualifying now for the top level of accreditation, which is actually pretty exciting because I think there's only a a few over 30 coaches with that level of accreditation in Australia. So, it's pretty exciting. And it also actually gives me a really different perspective on choosing a coach well, perhaps not a different perspective, a rounded, more rounded out perspective, because right now I am being coached on coaching, because part of the the PCC, the professional, oh, or is it MCC? I always get the two mixed up. Whatever. Oh, isn't that isn't that terrible? Whatever the highest level of accreditation is that I'm going for, um, <laughs> and we. Um, so part of that is is mentor coaching, and so I'm being coached on coaching. And it's actually been really challenging because I thought I was a pretty good coach. You know, I think I am. And um, I think my clients would certainly say that and the results that my clients get would say that. And yet, what I'm doing at the moment is really pulling apart my coaching style and having it subject to scrutiny and then putting it back together again. And that's been both affirming and confronting. It's been inspiring. It's been challenging. And at times, it's almost been overwhelming.
0: That's fantastic. So there are only 30 odd, you know, just over 30 top accredited coaches in Australia, and you're going to be one of them. How long until you're through that final process?
1: So it, it requires a number of hours. I think it's two and a half thousand hours of coaching. So that's actual coaching over many years, one on one and some group coaching. Most of that's one on one.
0: Do the hours you've already done, do they count towards that?
1: Yes. Yes. So it's right. it's accumulation over the period of time. It requires having done this mentor coaching program. And then two recordings need to be submitted and they're reviewed by uh, an international panel.
0: That's fantastic. Look, that's really interesting, Corinne. I'm obviously very interested in the topic anyway. You know, I've never had any experience with coaching, I've never been a coach in a formal way, I've never received coaching in a formal way. I. I'm intrigued by it though, and that's why I wanted to do a podcast and f- about that topic and find about find out all about why people get coaching and how they go about doing it and what your process is. But tell me, in terms of your work mix, because I know that you write books, I know that you do some speaking, you obviously do a lot of coaching. What kind of percentage of your working week is usually as a coach?
1: Very little now. so I limit- coaching to three new clients a quarter, just because most of my work is with executive teams. And so, the kind of coaching I do now is typically I might coach the CEO when I'm working with the executive team, or they might be individual clients that I'm working with who are at a fairly senior level. So, coaching now is a small part of my business in the sense of sitting down with a client, this is a coaching conversation if you ask the question of how often do you draw on your coaching skills and your coaching capability in your work, I'd say all the time. I think these are skills, which is why I think they're such important skills for leadership because they're skills that underpin any, any endeavours to help somebody else bring out their best.
0: All right. So, the name of this podcast episode is, Do I Need a Coach?, so let's <laughs> answer that question. Is by, that, and I don't do mean I, me, David me. <laughs> need a coach or do, do no, I, the do listener, I a need a coach? listener, need a coach? <laughs> so people who click on this and, and want to listen to our conversation are people who are interested in that question. Do I need a coach? So let's start to answer that. Let's start by talking about the role of a coach in, in a professional's life. Tell us about how far into their soul you reach. How far into the way they work and and the way they manage their life and the whole roundness of us as a human being, what is the role of a coach in someone's life?
1: I'm floored by that question. That's just the, that part of that question. How far into somebody's soul do I reach as a coach? That's such a such a beautiful question.
0: <laughs> so so <laughs> Thank perhaps you. to
1: to set the context, my coaching is very much leadership coaching and executive coaching. So, coaching is in all realms of life. So, for example, at the moment, I'm being coached in coaching. So, that's a coaching coach. Uh, You might have a sales coach and I have a sales coach myself who I work with. There might be a coach around a particular set of business capabilities. So, the work that I do is leadership coaching. So, I'm working with individual leaders and executives and I'll, res- I'll respond to this in an individual sense because I also work with teams, but let's just stick with individuals. And so, how far right into their soul do I reach? That's very much guided by them. So, I can think of some coaching programs where it's been much more focused on the work, about the work and restricted to the professional sense and um, the professional context. More often, it crosses, it's focused on professional and yet we move into personal because if there's things, if there's significant challenges going on in your personal life, then that's going to impact your professional life. And I I firmly believe that we are one person. We're not a personal self and a professional self. And people who try too hard to maintain that usually come unstuck. So, it very much depends on how far in the client wants to invite me. And so I'll take my cue from a client, which doesn't mean I might not, I don't push them. I certainly do. But if if the client really wants to focus much more on the professional stuff, then that's where we stay.
0: Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation it sort of reminds me once of something it reminds me of a, something a physio said to me once i was getting some physio after an injury and he was telling me that i was kind of rejecting him as he tried to massage around the area of the injury i was kind of stopping him from getting in there and he said one of the things cuz he he does he used to do physio for a couple of the professional rugby teams he said one of the things that professional athletes are good at are uh, letting him in just despite the pain, yeah. despite the discomfort, they allow him to massage deep into the muscle. And he said when people come in to see him in his clinic who aren't professional athletes, sometimes they're not very good at that. And in fact, some people are so bad at it that it can make the treatment kind of pointless because he's just sort of, you know, flittering around on the surface and not getting deep into the injury. What you just talked about there reminded me of that. So I imagined some of your clients who think, okay, I'm getting this leadership coach. This is all very work-based. This is happening at work. It's for work. I am going to show her my work self and nothing more. I'm not going to let her into my muscle. Whereas I'm guessing some of your more successful clients, people who have grown and developed a lot through the coaching process, are people who have allowed you to massage deep into that muscle.
1: Yeah, I think that's a beautiful metaphor. And I think my my branding is fairly strong too. So, my branding is around fearless leadership. And I will say to clients or potential clients right up front, what I promise you is that I will always be on your side. And what I also promise you is that it won't always feel that way. This This coaching process will be challenging and supportive. It will be comfortable and uncomfortable. And if you're not up for that, then I recommend, I can recommend you other coaches. So, if you want to play with me, it's not for the lighthearted. And um, I also say to clients, if you're looking for a friend, then there's lots of cheaper, easier ways to find friends because this is a fairly significant financial investment as well. So, we're not looking for friends here. I will challenge you and I will push you and I will always be holding the best version of you as the possibility of where we're going to. So, while the level, the extent to which people let me in, very much as you, as you use with your, your metaphor, depends on them, The with most people, we do move into the personal and the professional.
0: Because as you say, we're whole people. There is no work me and home me. There is just me. And if I try and pretend there are two separate me's, then I'm going to come into conflict at some point and I'm going to get confused and, and lose what my priorities are. All right, I like that. That's all very clear. So Who should get coaching? How do we decide through our career, through the evolution of us as a person and and our career in parallel with our life, how do we decide when is the right time for us to get coaching? Do we wait until we've got a problem? Did you get a coach for sales when you had a problem with sales and you thought, hey, I'm not very good at this, I need help? Or were you going along okay and think, hey, I want to be awesome at this? What's Who needs coaching?
1: Well, for me, in, when, in sales, a, the conversation I actually had with my very fabulous sales coach was, she said, why do you need me? You, Why do you want to do this? Because you're already really successful in terms of sales. And I was. And I said to her, because I want the same level of success with more ease. So, I wasn't looking for more sales. I wasn't looking necessarily for more profile what I was really looking for was the same level that I was now, but with more ease so that when I got to Friday night, then I was with my kids and doing stuff I wanted to do on the weekend and not saying to my kids, all right, oh, well, mommy needs to work now and I'll come play with you after lunch. So that was a, the direct response. But who should get coaching? When I was thinking about this, I was thinking there's sort of there's three broad categories of people who need coaching or needs that would drive you to coach when we're thinking about leadership coaching. I'm thinking that they're developmental, elevational and aspirational. So the developmental would be back to the sales coach. I've got a challenge here with sales and I think there's a big gap in my sales capacity and I need help with it. Or from a leadership perspective, I can tell you many stories. All of which, of course, will be heavily disguised to to protect the individuals. But in a leadership perspective, (laughs) it might be somebody who's, yeah, it might be somebody who's really good intellectually, really good strategically, and yet destroying people around them. So it might be that, that interpersonal thing. It might be someone who um, I can think of a lawyer I worked with many years ago who was a really talented lawyer and yet really low in self confidence. And nobody's very good at hiding it, so no one else recognised that. But every workday came at a massive energetic
0: cost for her, and the people around her, no doubt.
1: Actually, no. In this case, mostly with confidence, that is the case. But in this particular case, nobody guessed she was lacking in confidence. She was so good at masking it. But
0: right, but it was just costing her so much energy and, and draining her, you know, her whole life. Get it? Great. Yeah, Love it. it. So you're talking about that person there who's very smart, maybe a technical expert, has a lot of capability at a cognitive level perhaps and a skill and experience level, but just doesn't maybe have that emotional intelligence required to be the kind of leader that the people who are following them need to have. So the type of yeah. you know leader that can be very tough to be around, can be very moody, can be very hard in terms of expectation- and lack empathy and understanding that we're all individuals and we're all a little bit different. That's the type of leader you're talking about there in the developmental category.
1: That's it. Or any gap when it comes to broadly thinking, I think about leadership skill and interpersonal skill. So, if we think about elevational, that's somebody who's ready for the next role or has just been moved into the next role. So, it might be somebody at the, in their first executive role. So, they're used to being at the management level. All of a sudden, now they're at the executive level and they're thinking, oh, this is a new game and I'm not sure how to play. I don't even know what the rules are. I'm not sure who's on my team, who's not. Or it could be somebody who could be a CEO whose organization is, just, is facing a merger. And so, there's a you know that whole new
0: yeah, step there game uh, up.
1: opportunity there yeah that they need to step up. It might be somebody who is thinking about making a career change and thinking, okay, right, what do I need to do to make that next step? So things where we're at a level we're doing well and we want to elevate to the next level or to the next project, and we and we've got a sense of what that is.
0: Great, elevational.
1: Yeah, elevational. And then the last category I've broadly termed as aspirational. And so that's, I just want to be the best that I can be. So, so it's not about a not role. Not necessarily, not a role, not about a role, not necessarily about a gap, although there probably are gaps. Everyone has gaps. You know, when I started my mentor coaching this last stage for me, I, I didn't realize there were gaps that, you know, that we had found. I thought for me that was more about aspirational. And it's probably actually more about elevational. So that aspirational is just really, we've got someone who could be, who could be brilliant and how do we help them get there? And so sometimes when I used to work with more junior leaders, I would quite often get a call from an executive saying, look, I've got this person. I've got David who's on my team. He's just, he's all around brilliant. I just want to give him every opportunity to succeed. So Great. it's not necessarily preparation for the next role. It's not necessarily you know, David's got this gap and you need to help him. It's just simply David's fabulous. Let's push him as far as he can go.
0: Hey, I love those three categories. Did you invent those categories for this podcast, by the way? Is that something or is that something that you've thought about before? You invented it for us. I'm flattered. I invented so- it for
1: you when I was, I was just thinking how would I describe the different – and I came up with it will be this and this and this. And then I ended up thinking, no, there's really just three broad categories.
0: That's great. I I like it. So developmental, elevational, and aspirational. I really like that aspirational. And correct me if I'm wrong, that sounds like the most positive of them. That kind of comes at a really positive time where we just want this person or I just want me to be the best I can be. It's not about a role. It's not about a promotion. It's not about a terrible gaping hole I have in my professional uh, makeup. It's just, I want to be awesome. Whereas developmental maybe can come as a result of some negative stuff that's happened. There's a lot of good stuff, but there's this big gap and people are noticing and I'm noticing and it's costing in some way, whether it's my energy or my relationships with my direct reports or my colleagues or the people around me. And ever a- <laughs> elevational comes as a need. And there's a, there, you know, there's a, there's a structural need. I've been elevated to this position, or I've found my business has grown to this position, and I need to lift my skills to match. I really like that. And and so, is that summary pretty accurate? Is is that a fair summary of those?
1: I'm not sure that one is more positive than the other, but that's probably me speaking through my filters of everything's an opportunity and everything's pretty positive. Yes. No, that's <laughs> Be- fair because. Quite often people will come to me and they'll say, they'll be really inspired and they'll say, look, I know to really nail this role or to get to the next role. I know I need to be better at influencing. So can we work on that? So it's not, it doesn't, rarely does it come with negativity. I can remember many years ago, many, many years ago, I was given, the CEO called me and said, I have this woman. I'd like you to work with her. I don't know if she's going to make it. It's her first GM role and she's really struggling. And if you can't help her, then I don't think we're going to be able to keep her in this role. Yep. So, I said, okay, well, let, no me, let me talk to her. No pressure. So, I had a phone conversation with her. She seemed very nervous. And so, I said to her, she said, oh, I feel like I have to come. And I said, you do. I said, you have to come to the first session. But after that, it's entirely your choice. And so, I won't invoice the company until you have decided. So, come to the first session, have a think about it, and then I'll give you some time after that and you can decide whether or not you want to continue working with me, whether you can see the value for you because I won't work with prisoners. There's no point, like you said before, if, if you're going to lock your, your legs tight and not let me into those the muscles that need working, then there's no point us doing this work together. So anyway, we set up the first coaching session. She was sick, it had to be cancelled. And then we set another one up and the business got busy and she couldn't come until it was almost three months and we hadn't started. And so I called her and I said, look, my sense of what's happening here is that you're nervous, you're unsure about this, and you also have a huge amount on. So it's easy to reprioritize other things above this. My commitment was to have one coaching session with you. So we either need to arrange that and it needs to go ahead in the next week, or I need to go back to the CEO and say, "Look, it works." It turns out this isn't possible. So she said, yeah. "Okay, right, right, right." So she so she turns that's, up.
0: It's almost a we threat. have a
1: really good yeah, it, it, and it was we have a really good coaching session. And before she walks out, she says, "I want to continue working with you." And I no, said, that's, "That's great." And I don't want to hear that today. I want you to think about it, and I want you to be really sure. And so I want you to call me. By Monday next week, and let me know. No, on Monday next week. So I, I made her think about it for almost a week, and she came back and said, "Yeah, she wants to work with me." But what, what ended up really funny about that is that we, um, we did this work together, and then not long after that, I can't remember what happened. I think there was a significant restructure, and a lot of people's roles were changed. And she called me and she said, Oh, look, I hope this isn't inappropriate. And she sounded really uncomfortable. You know, is this, if this is inappropriate, please tell me. The reason she'd called was to say, can I engage you personally to work with me through the next couple of months? So we went from complete prisoner to, yeah, okay, I'll opt in to I'm willing to make this financial investment myself to work with you
0: yeah that's a nice story. and we're going to get there's a couple of questions that you've touched on there that I want to go a little deeper into uh, what is the relationship between the coach and the client what what should it be like? are there any boundaries? what is the no-go area or you know you get you to describe that And then I want to finish with our with your coaching process. I want to take I want you to take us through how you approach working with a new client and what kind of phases you go through. but before we get to those two questions, there's just one more. How do I choose the right coach for me? So, If I've listened to this podcast so far, I've thought about those developmental, the elevational, and the aspirational needs that people might have when they come to a coach. I'm sold on it. I think I fit into one of those categories. I think it's time. How do I choose? Because I can Google coach and get a billion responses. There are a billion coaches in Australia, or people who identify themselves as a business coach or a leadership coach, how do I choose the person who is right for me?
1: I'm just doing the sums on how many people are in Australia from an ABS stats perspective. They all must be listed as coaches four or five times to get to that number. But I get the idea.
0: I was, I was hyperbole, slight exaggeration, <laughs> to make exaggeration to make a point. Yes,
1: this is a partnership. So a coach partners with the client to get the client to where they want to get to. So. You need to find somebody that you're happy that you can form a partnership with. You need to be sufficiently comfortable with that person that you won't self-censor. So, I know if I'm brought in, as I often am by the CEO to work with someone on the executive team, for example, the first conversation I need to have with that person is a complete assurance about confidentiality. Because if there's any sense from the client that they're censoring what they're saying, then that's not going to be, it's not going to serve them. So, do you trust the person? Do you believe that you can work in partnership with them? And is there going to be sufficient challenge? Because what we really want, John Martini, who's an American author, talks about people grow at the boundary between challenge and support. So, it needs to be a coach who is going to support you, Also challenge you because like I said before, we're not just looking for friends. I would be looking at what sort of results does that coach get? You know, who else do they, what sort of people do they work with? If you know a little bit more about the various approaches to coaching, does that coach's approach align with what you feel comfortable with where you think that you can get, can get good results? And I tend to personally, I tend to buy on recommendations. So. You know I know a lot of my coaching work comes from recommendations.
0: So if I need if I know I need to be comfortable so I don't self-censor so that we can really get deep into that muscle and and do the work that we need to do, does that mean it's quite legitimate and common for us to have a couple of false starts with a coach? I got you as a recommendation because I've heard of the work that you do but you and I just don't quite work and there's a part of me that hasn't bought into this relationship. So rather than just be okay with an arranged marriage, maybe something that my CEO has set up, I go looking for true yeah. love and I go find looking for someone who is really the coach that I want to be with.
1: I guess that's possible. I personally haven't had that, but I have a good conversation with people before we start. So they get a really good sense of what it will be like to work with me. And occasionally, people people will choose not to work with me often because they don't think they're up for that level of challenge. Mm. And sometimes I get a sense that I'm not the right coach for you. And particularly now that I take such few clients one-on-one, I probably refer to other clients twice the number of coach uh, clients that I would actually take on myself. So quite often, I'll say, okay, right, I I know I could help you and I don't think I'm the best person. Can I introduce you to so-and-so? And and I'm thinking about this coach for these reasons.
0: Yeah, great. All right. So it sounds like it, it it is a tricky process or it could be a tricky process or a little bit hit and miss, or you might just be happy with the coach that you first meet. But when we form that relationship, what are the boundaries? So if I come into this relationship as someone who wants coaching, I've identified what I want to get out of this and I've I've worked out that you're the person I want to work with, how do I understand the boundaries of that relationship?
1: Mm, Good question. I think the boundaries to me are quite clear. Confidentiality is a major one. So if I'm working with you, my confidentiality commitment is to you and i will always have that conversation if i'm being brought in by somebody else to work with someone in their team i always have that conversation with them up front what are you expecting by way of reporting and mostly yeah. people will say oh not at all i just like to know that you know that that they're coming that it's going well
0: because they should see the results at work is that yeah, right
1: exactly and they should be able to have this conversation with their person
0: yes um, yes
1: if they think they're going to get regular detailed updates from me, then I either need to realign their expectation or decline working with them because that allows me to maintain the confidentiality boundaries.
0: Have you ever had that, that situation where someone senior in an organization has engaged you to work with one of their direct reports and they want insight, they want the gory details about the conversations because they don't understand what real coaching is about and you've had to call them on that?
1: I've only had that once, and I've also had it once in an even more challenging situation where I worked with a team, and the chair of the board wanted insights into the people based on what we did, and, and I and I had to reful explain to him this only works when people are completely open and vulnerable, and in an organisational setting, you a know, completely open is a you know is a how long of a piece of string type assessment, and that we can't. If I break that confidentiality, then I lose my power to help people. And so, it's usually – that's a conversation I can manage fairly easily.
0: It's amazing that someone senior enough in an organization to be making those decisions would fall into that trap and would have that lack of understanding. But I can imagine in a career of 20 years like yours as a coach that it it would have happened at some point.
1: Yeah, that's it. So, So, in terms of boundaries, confidentiality is really important. As a coach, it's really important to know what's coaching and what's counseling.
0: Yeah, great. That's a great, I, I, that's great. I really want to understand the, the difference there.
1: So if, if what I, I realize in my conversations with you is that there are actually major mental health issues at play here, then you need to get that specialist support, which might, and ha- I have a couple of times worked with leaders who were seeing a psychologist. And actually, gave the psychologist and me, in fact, requested that we speak so that right. I could get a sense of what's the focus there and what's the focus here. And so sometimes it might be that level of help needed.
0: Is that moving into really difficult waters for you as a coach?
1: Yeah, it, it, you have to be very careful. And I have to be very clear on what's the bit that I'm working on and what's the bit that the psychologist is working on. And that's only happened hmm. a couple of times. Where it's more likely to happen is not somebody with necessarily with mental health issues, but a client where something will come up that's really quite deep and distressing and is not really coach material. And so then I might refer you to, I might ask you if you've got an employee assistance program in your workplace. And most big companies and government agencies do. And I also at times, I've always got a couple of psychologists in my network that I refer clients to if they need that.
0: But Corinne, is it is it really obvious to you when we've moved into an area that is counseling and you need to refer them to someone else? Or is there a gray area where you kind of might sit through a few sessions thinking, dear oh dear, is this moving into murky water? I'm not sure yet. I I think I'm okay, but maybe I'm not okay. Or is it just cut and dry?
1: It's not cut and dry because it's not like it's not on and off. There is definitely gradations of gray. And I will sometimes ask the client, look, I'm, I'm wondering here whether this is a, a conversation that would be better served by this type of professional. And it, it doesn't come up that often. Like if I think about the whole time that I've been doing this, it's not that many times that I've needed to refer somebody. But then at other times, it can be like, depending on where that person is at in their life. I mean, I can remember a client who called me, and I was the only person he'd called after being holed up for a couple of days when his wife left him. Yeah. And so my immediate response is okay, right. Who have you told you've missed work? I'll get in touch with your workplace. I'll organize a counseling session for you with your employee assistance program. So I could, I could move in. And so, that was probably a little bit of overstepping the line, but that was almost like a little bit of triage, a bit of immediate first aid. And then I could step back once all of those things are in place, I could step back into being a coach. And in that case, the coaching, we just stopped the coaching for a bit until until some of those other sort of more fundamental issues were worked through.
0: Okay, so tell me about your approach or the process that you go through. Let's say I contact you and I say, Corinne, I need a coach. I'm I want just to be the best version of myself. My business is moving forward. I want to be able to keep up with it. And you let me on to one of those three people that you take on per year. I'm on the I'm on the hot list. Tell me per quarter process (laughs) per per quarter. So it's not that exclusive. So, tell me, what would the process be? How would, you, how would we get started and, and how would it roll through the sessions? Okay.
1: So, I, first I talk people through what I call the leadership development ladder, just so that they can understand what that development looks like from my point of view. And then what that also does is helps them to diagnose on those five levels, where are you right now? And where do you want to get to? And what do you think is is getting in your way? So that's a sort of a fundamental conversation that I would have in the conversation during which they're deciding if they want to work with me and I'm deciding if I'm the best coach for them.
0: What are those five steps of the ladder, by the way, in your leadership ladder? Or is that yeah. giving away so, is, is that giving away your secrets?
1: Oh no, I'm happy to share that. So, if you think about it as a ladder, and in a like all letters, we start at the bottom. So, at the bottom, we've got imposter. And so, when you're feeling like an imposter as a leader, and most people have that, it may be just in the moment that I offer you this next job. Now, congratulations, David, there was, there was strong candidate pool for this executive role and we've chosen you. And your immediate thought is fabulous. And then you're almost immediately after that thought is, oh my goodness, am I up for this? And some people will stay in that I for a long period of time. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's, it's exhausting being at this level because you're constantly thinking about sometime soon people are going to work out where I'm at. People are going to start to realize that I'm not as good as they think that I am. And so, it's exhausting. And you need a full strategy for everything. So, I'm going to have this meeting this morning. In this meeting, these are the stakeholders. Here's what I think they'll say. If they say this, I'll go this direction. But if they say that, now all of these, you know, people can't see me given this is audio, but I'm waving in my, all of these pathways in the air that we need to work out. And that's just exhausting because typically people don't follow our pathways. So, that's imposter. And then at the next level, we have novice. And so, at novice, we're starting to get a sense of who I am as a leader in relation to this role. What's the role all about? What do I need to do or not do? But it's still pretty exhausting. It still takes a lot of effort to work through and to to influence and to you know, have a level of confidence that you know what you're doing. When we get past that, we get to performing, and so at performing. With a bit less effort, we can really start to get things done. We're starting to achieve objectives. We know what we're here for. We know what our strengths are. We know who's in the team. Other people are really starting to see us as a leader. We're starting to feel like a leader. And I'm not sure whether you've noticed, David, but I keep going back to energy to impact. Like that's a ratio that down the bottom of the ladder, a huge amount of energy for very little impact. And yeah. for me, the aspirational goal for the leaders who I work with is that on Friday night, they leave and they go home and there's still energy left for their families or their their community or whatever it is that they want to do in their non-work time. So, energy for me is a massively important currency for leaders. So, we're at that performing stage and then there's a tipping point there where we move into successful and that's the aspirational goal for most leaders. And so, at successful you know we look at you and we see you've got a clear purpose around your leadership you really understand your strengths you're aware of your weaknesses and you build others you know a team around you to complement that you're able to influence you're you're able to bring coalitions of people together and you can get a lot done so as i said that's the aspirational goal of most leaders and yet i think there's a the fifth lever level that not many people get to and that's fearless So, as a fearless leader, I've got a really solid understanding of myself. I'm confident to speak out. I've got a very clear purpose. So, when an opportunity comes up, I can quickly say yes or no. I'm not spending this time saying, oh, do I, do I not do it? Do I do it? How do I do it? So, much more in tune and really able to get a huge amount of done. That sort of person that when you look at them, they're in flow and things just seem to happen.
0: And that comes back to that energy and performance ratio that you mentioned. If you're at that fearless or even at that successful level, you're not having to plan everything and every possibility like a crazy person and putting all of that energy into some outcomes that might not even happen because you have that confidence that you'll react and respond, that you'll be able to think on your feet. You understand your strengths and weaknesses, and you've got the team around you to support whatever needs to be done. I can really see the, the graduation of the energy versus outcome ratio that you're talking about through that, through imposter, novice, performing, successful, and fearless. I love that ladder. And I know that wasn't the main question, but it's obviously at the heart of your coaching model. And let me guess, a lot of people, although aspirationally, we should be trying to hit that successful level or even that fearless level, I'm guessing A lot of leaders that we see as competent just sort of sit at that performing level forever where they don't quite get to successful, where they don't quite get to that point where they're aware of their strengths and weaknesses and they're comfortable with those. And because of those, they're able to form a team around them and they have great emotional intelligence, are able to tap in the strengths and weaknesses of the people around them. So Am I right in saying that a lot of people sort of hover at that performing level? Once they get there, they get out of novice and imposter, they're sort of relieved that it's not so hard anymore and they just plug away at that level?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair call. And it's also situational. You might have a, a leader who who's at that performing stage and yet if in this context, you know, they're amazing. And yet if you put them in this context over here, they really still haven't mastered that and they might be... No, right down the at, novice, at novice or imposter. So it is situational. And yes, it's where you hover, as to use your word.
0: Yeah. All right. That's so, great. Hey, I'm glad I asked you about your ladder. That's fabulous. I really like it. Is that yours or is that part of yes. a coaching yeah. model? That's that's yours. That's Corinne Armour's yeah, P T Y L T D. That's, that's great.
1: Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that's the, um, that's part of the core sort of IP that my coaching work moves around. And then when I think about, so, I would talk somebody through that model if I was talking to them on the phone, or if I was with them, I would scribble it on a piece of paper because typically, when I if I do that, people want to keep it. And then I'll say to them, "So, just on that, really quick, so quick explanation. Where do you find yourself now, mostly?" And they'll say, "Oh, well, I'm I'm here." Or it really resonated when you said this, and you know, I really want to be here. But I'm, so, so we have that conversation, and that really helps people to to have a, have the confidence that I have a framework. That will help them get from where they are to where they want to get to.
0: Are people good at self identifying? Are they fairly good at looking in the mirror and identifying the characteristics that you describe as you go through your ladder? Yes.
1: There are always, there'll always be one or two who lack self awareness. Most people are a lot more self aware than we give them credit for.
0: Really? That's interesting. All right, great. So once we get a we, we reach a shared understanding. You share with me your ladder. We talk through where I think I am, whether it's a, a hovering, I'm always here, or situationally, I move from here to here and I have a good understanding of that. What's next? I, I'm guessing the thing is that we identify the skills and knowledge that I need to acquire to move to the next level, or that self awareness that I need to acquire to move to the next level, and we work on those things.
1: So what next is I, I will ask people. So, you know, what do you want to achieve? And some people are really clear on that. They'll say, well, I want to, um, I want to improve my relationship with the CEO and I want to respond more creatively when I'm under pressure. So for example, there might be two things they're focusing on. Others say, well, you know, I want to be better. And so then I, I might ask the questions in different ways. Like, okay, so in six months, you know, David recommended that you talk to me in six months. If we work together and you run into David and you say, I'm so glad you introduced Corinne because you know, what would that because be? So yeah. lots of di- lots of different ways to help people get clear on what do they want? And I actually don't take that too seriously, <laughs> which, which almost sounds a, a little unfair. But the reason for that is once we start coaching people's people realize that so much more is possible than what they thought when they started. And so typically what they're aspiring to is not where we end up. What they're aspiring to is a sort of a, a milestone on the way to where we're going.
0: So I'm getting a picture of of what those first few sessions will look like. And then once we get that shared understanding, we start to understand my goals. Are you, you going to add something more to that?
1: Yeah, because we haven't actually started yet. So, all of, oh, okay. yeah. all of this is just in a conversation. All of this is just in a in a conversation about should we, you know, should we dance? Should we do
0: this? Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. So, assuming we say yes, then I also get you to do what I call a pre-coaching contemplation. So, it's a series of questions that are designed to get you thinking before we even start. And some people, it's just documenting their thoughts. Others, it's really getting them thinking. And it really begins that process of forward momentum before we've even started. And then when I get that, I get the equivalent of about two sessions worth of coaching knowledge so that when we start, we can start in a much deeper place. And um, some people love the pre-coaching contemplation. They'll say things like, oh, that was so good. You know, I've never spent so much time just thinking about me. And other people will say, oh, that was a bit like pulling teeth. Nobody makes me think about me, So, which I think is a reflection of, of the way we run our worlds. We're so busy. We don't have the time to do the thinking that matters. I also do uh, motivational profiling before we start. So I use a profiling tool, which does a couple of things. It helps me know how to quickly position things in a way that the client can take in and also how to stretch them. And it gives them the first coaching session is typically includes a debrief of that. And it gives them real insights into how they might be showing up now and how they how they might be perceived by other people And then we start work on whatever the goals are that they have set as an overarching sense of of what's needed for the program.
0: Corinne, that is fantastic insight. I I really love hearing about coaching explicitly like this because it is such a heavy presence in the world of leadership development or in professional ambition. But to understand it fully, it it takes this kind of conversation. And and I'm guessing the way we haven't even really got into it fully, There's, there's still a lot more to understand. But I just want to leave our listeners with one last thought. So if you know that there are people listening to this who feel like maybe they should do they should go down the coaching path, they know that there's they want to get more out of themselves personally and professionally, they know there's something to be achieved but they're just not ready to take that step. What do you say to them? What will help you be ready? What will help you be ready?
1: What are you waiting for? Because if you've got a sense that there's something more and you're not doing anything about it, then there's a cost. There's either a real cost. So for example, if it's, you know, I think that if I had external help, it would help me work through all of these different scenarios that I'm facing now and help me make good sound decisions that help me workshop how I'm going to present it to the board and all of those sorts of things, having someone as a thinking partner. If you haven't got that now, what's the cost of that? What's the cost to you professionally? And what's the cost to you personally? Because if you're getting to Friday night and you're exhausted, then you're not playing the best game you can be.
0: That's a fantastic place to leave it. Corinne Armour, thank you so much for coming on the Team Guru podcast to talk coaching. You can say goodbye, Corinne.
1: <laughs> thank you, David. It was fabulous to talk coaching with you today.
0: And that was Corinne Armour. If you enjoyed that and you missed episode 92 when I spoke with Corinne about her book, Leaders Who Ask Questions, go back and take a listen. You'll love it. I got a lot out of our chat about coaching. I've long been fascinated by it as a concept. And what about her leadership ladder? Loved it. Imposter, novice, performing, successful, and fearless. After we stopped recording, Corinne asked me to mention... When looking for a coach that's right for you, a great place to start is the ICF website, International Coaching Federation. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Corinne on the lessons learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website that's teams with an S.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.